0: When we went in and put in his new phone system, got everything set up for him, his phone traffic more than tripled. What was happening is he was missing these calls. He's now had to hire two additional people to answer the phones, but his
1: business is booming because of it. Welcome to episode 373 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Back in 2013, Christy Batts from CDE Lightband made her first appearance on the podcast to share the story of how Clarksville, Tennessee chose to invest in a publicly owned fiber optic network. She's back this week to describe upgrades and changes that have kept the network at the top of its game. In addition to innovations in voice and video service, CDE Lightband has partnered with local cooperatives and continues to increase speed throughout the community. Christopher and his guests talk about the network's new approach to improving subscriber Wi-Fi performance and the ways they plan to bring free Wi-Fi to public spaces in Clarksville. They also talk about how unexpected success has kept the network on sound financial footing that is benefiting the community in ways that aren't broadband related. Now here's Christopher and Christy Batts from CDE Lightband in Clarksville, Tennessee.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today I'm speaking with one of our guests from our first year doing this program. Christy Batts is the Broadband Division Director at CDE Lightband. That's a municipal electric provider that also does broadband services in Clarksville, Tennessee. Welcome back to the show, Christy.
0: Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be back.
2: Well, it's been about six years, I think, and um, maybe a little bit more than that, and a lot has happened. Uh, You and I recently touched base, and I'm, I'm really excited with all the progress, so I wanted to pull you back on this show. I think CDE in Clarksville has been in this business for 11 years now. Can you just give us a quick refresher as to what you're doing?
0: You're correct. We've been in the business about 11 years. Um, It has been a whirlwind, so to speak, 11 years. We have um, gone from struggling, small municipality, trying to get their feet wet in the broadband world, to extremely successful, very um, pleased with how our projects turned out, um, gaining a lot of recognition and focus uh, not only re- regionally but throughout the state, um, and what we've been able to accomplish in the last eleven years. So we're very proud of what we've been able to to make happen here.
2: Yeah, and you have a, a particularly difficult population in that it tends to move more frequently than most uh, because of that large military base, right?
0: We do. We we are um, Clarksville is home to the um, Fort Campbell uh, military installation. also um, which is where the 101st Airborne Division. Um, Air Assault is stationed, um, and we also are home to a um, state university, Austin Peace State University. It's one of the fastest-growing state universities in Tennessee. And uh, so that lends itself to a population that's not only very diverse, um, but also turns over quite a bit. And we've run up the numbers, and about 30 percent of our population turns over every year.
2: And you have more than 30 percent, then, that are taking your broadband services or taking services from the telecom division. We do,
0: yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Ordinarily, I think I would, I would probably start more at the beginning and, and move forward to remind people, but I actually want to jump in and talk about some of the latest news coming out of Clarksville, uh, some of the changes you've made recently or will complete doing, because I think, I think that's actually just fascinating. Uh, let's start with the hosted PBX. So first of all, for a person who's listening to this and has no idea why I just said those three letters, what is it and why is it important for your services?
0: We offer the true triple play for our residential customers, which is the internet, um, television, and phone product. But we also know that on the phone side of the business, um, that is declining as far as usage on the residential. Everyone's using cell phones these days. No one really has a landline. So the market for phone service is really in the commercial side of the the business. And we have been providing a traditional voice over IP system Uh, with uh, SIP trunking for large corporations and that sort of thing on the phone side, what we ran into and what we were finding in the market is so many of our customers, while they wanted to switch to our phone services, had aging phone equipment and really didn't have, especially in the small to mid-sized business market, didn't have the resources financially to go out and wholesale replace an entire phone system. And didn't have, and most of their phone systems and the services they had didn't have the features that so many of us have come, become used to with voicemail, um, the ability to transfer calls directly to cell phones when you've got um, crews or, or um, staff members in the field. So we wanted to find a solution um, for that, and we teamed with our wholesale phone provider, which we use Momentum for that. Um, service, and they came to the table with a really nice hosted PBX product, which in turn allows us to put in a fully functional phone system for the customer. It does all their switching, all of their phone gear, their actual set. We set up everything for them, and then we deliver the dial tone to those phones, and they just lease that from us on a monthly basis, and it makes it something palatable for them to handle financially, but um, also be able to um, um, solve some of their business needs as well.
2: And I would think that that would lead to many more small local businesses wanting to take service from you because even though, as you mentioned, the residential telephone service is in decline, most businesses still require telephone service for most of their employees to be productive.
0: That is correct. That is correct. And we it's a real interesting little story. We had, a, in particular, one customer that we were working with who had only had about three traditional phone lines coming into the office and realized that he could possibly be missing some phone calls. When we went in and put in his new phone system, um, upgraded all of his phones, put in his new services, got everything set up for him, his phone traffic more than tripled um and in turn what it was happening is he was missing these calls he's now had to hire two additional people to answer the phones but his business is booming because of it
2: right i'm i'm sure that's <laughs> you wonder about all the missed opportunities when you're trying to fall asleep at night when after you get that kind of data Mm-hmm. So one of the other pieces of news is a streaming platform, and I'm I guess I'm curious how challenging is that to implement. I, I think most people just commonly would think that it would be available, um, but but it may not have a sense of how it, what it takes.
0: Yeah, it it has probably been one of the more, more difficult product lines we've ever had to encounter. Um, embark upon. It's been a challenge to get the the product up. We really looked for something to to work with and to to deliver the customers to answer not only the cord cutting that everybody's suffering um, from with traditional video services, but also the cord nevers, the people who really only used us for their internet service because they were using other streaming devices and other streaming services. So we partnered with our middleware providers and um, developed some content and some product worked with our programming partners and and got um, the the rights to distribute the services um, through streaming and now all the background technical stuff that um, has to happen to make that happen we're in the testing final testing phases of the streaming service now are um, going on and once we get the clear from the engineering team that we're ready to go then we'll we'll be ready to soft launch that in the september um, time frame and and then go full force launch in october
2: and that will allow people then uh, to subscribe to your linear TV and also to get streaming additional or is there a, a wrinkle to it?
0: It's actually going to be a totally different complete service. We will still maintain our linear service. You're still going to always have a market, I believe, of customers who want just your traditional television service with a set-top box and the and DVR and all those other functions. But we now will be able to offer a separate streaming package for those that want our internet service. It's going to look very similar to a linear service, but it will be delivered over an Amazon Fire Stick or an Android app or an Apple app.
2: And to deliver that, you're going to be around that same time turning on a second 100 gigabit backhaul connection.
0: That's correct. Um, if nothing else, we've proven in the market with the military and the university that if there's a way to push the bandwidth expectations um, from our consumers, our consumers are definitely going to be the ones to do that. And since we offer our base Um, internet speed at 250 meg for both residential and commercial and go up to 10 gig on the commercial basis. Um, We have consumers using our bandwidth and a lot of it. Um, So we thought it was really important um, to get into the um, um, second 100 gig connection. We turned up our first 100 gig connection about 18 months ago. We'll be turning up our second one in September as well. And then that's also going to lend us an opportunity to partner and work with some of our counterparts surrounding us because, of course, you probably know in the state of Tennessee, electric co-ops are now allowed to get into the um, broadband business and we've got several of those starting up services surrounding us. So we're, we're working and partnering with some of them to um, sell wholes- wholesale some bandwidth for them as well.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't hear anything that you said after saying that your base package was 250 megabits symmetrical.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. You know, I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm just, I pay $95 a month to Comcast for something that's roughly uh, similar download speed, I guess, and uh, 10 megabits upload speed. So now I'm curious. Do you have a sense of your network utilization? As I say that, do you, do you see people using a lot of that upstream capacity that you have that I don't?
0: We do. Um, we absolutely do. We have a lot, especially on our business side. Um, we have a lot of that capacity used, and it's a, average. It's about forty percent of our um, available bandwidth capacity every every day.
2: Okay. Wow. So. The last thing in terms of this, and this isn't new for you, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast, you've switched to an indoor ONT uh, that also can provide Wi-Fi services. I think one of the common things we've heard from ISPs in recent years is that is that so many service calls, a majority, are often about Wi-Fi. And so this gives you visibility into into those Wi-Fi problems. You can solve them without rolling a truck, I'm guessing. So just tell me more about that, how that happened, and, and what your results have been.
0: That has been tremendous for us. We have um, moved to the indoor ONT, as I told you. It does have um, a, a one gigabit uh, wireless router built into the ONT. Um, and we have um, had a huge, huge Um, intake um, over 3,000 customers in the last 18 months have subscribed to that Wi-Fi device what we've teamed it with and what I would suggest for anyone that's getting into that and looking at that as an opportunity for themselves or even if they're doing it and still struggling with the consumer that always says it's not my equipment, it's not my equipment. We've invested in not only the equipment but the training for our service technicians with Wi-Fi analyzers and our installation teams as well. So when we go in and we do an install and the consumer in the home says I want the router right here or I want you to connect it to my router and it's located right here.
2: Yes, just put it right here in this closet, right?
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) On the third floor, you know, away from everything. Um, They can go throughout the home and actually certify the Wi-Fi signal so they can tell the consumer, you're really, really strong right here. You're not so strong right here where you're wanting to stream all your services on your your smart TV. So we can actually show them the best location to locate, whether it's our router, their router, and we can show them the, the challenges they'll have up front. Here's where you're going to have your challenges. And so we're, we're hopefully fielding those um, questions prior to having to field a phone call about it.
2: I, I would, you know, if you just told me that you'd switch to an indoor ONT, you know, I would probably think that you'd just place it someplace on an, on an exterior wall in the basement. Uh, but now, I assume you're going to have to figure out a different placement for it, given that it's going to be the Wi-Fi base station.
0: Exactly. And what we're in turn doing, which makes it a lot easier for us in most cases, is we're going in directly with the fiber connection into the home. Um, So we've got a little bit more flexibility um, where we place that. Obviously, it has to be near a power source, um, but we can um, control where we run that fiber um, connection into the home as well, and it makes it a little bit easier.
2: All right. So now let's move into discussing some of the financials. And when you and I talked about six years ago, uh, it sounded like you were starting to make inroads on the debt at that point. And I'm curious how you're doing now from a financial picture.
0: Oh, it's really going very well. You know, I I used to joke when they originally set the um, loan payment schedule for us um, years ago, uh, when we first started up. They said that the the final loan it was seventeen million dollars at the top end of what we owned, owed um, back to the electric division, and they said that you know the loan payment reschedule should have it paid off in 2035. And I'm like, okay, well y'all come by the uh, retirement home and tell me when it's done. Um, right, <laughs> but. <laughs> We will actually pay that loan off um, in 2023, so several years in advance. We have now paid that debt down to just, just at $6 million, and we're averaging making about a $2.5 to um, $2.8 million payment annually, so we'll have that paid off pretty quickly.
2: And yet, from what you've told me, I actually think that's that's not even the beginning of you know the good story from the financial side. Can you tell us more about the telecom division and how it's helping the electric side in, in other ways?
0: Yeah, when we built this cyber network um, back in 2007, um, it was originally built to benefit the electric company, so it was designed to manage our automatic meter interface infrastructure and so that we could remote connect and disconnect the meters throughout the city. Obviously with the turnover that we have, that's hugely important so that you're not constantly rolling trucks out to do disconnects and reconnects. Um, that's in place. They're seeing a, a significant um um, savings from that um, right to the tune of about $2 million a year in savings for operational costs for that piece of the business. They loaned us in turn $17 million to start up our side of the business and to maximize the availability of that fiber. Um, in addition to paying down that, because the electric side of the business or the electric division owns the fiber network, we in turn leased that fiber network from them to the tune of almost $8 million a year in lease payments and shared costs. So that's another $8 million in addition to loan payments that we push over to the electric division annually. With that, they have in turn built three new substations and upgraded substations. So a brand new substation on average costs about $6 million. They've built three new ones and upgraded two out of cash delivered to them by the broadband payments and shared costs and not had to go to the bond market, which is the typical first place that a a utility will go when they've got capital projects is they'll go borrow money on the bond market, so they've not had to do that. They've avoided three electric power rate increases because of the cash that's being brought over to them. And then they're in the throes right now of an $8 million campus renovation for the Electric Division's main campus of of buildings um, that will give them a state-of-the-art call center, additional office space for expansion, and generally a, a refresh of a very old 1980s building um, that's going to be a, a really nice addition um, in the look and feel of it to our community.
2: Well, that certainly seems like a pretty good return on investment uh, for the investment of the electric side. Now, let me ask you about stories that have happened in the last few years, you know, whether that's a local business coming to town, whether it's businesses benefiting from the, the hosted PBX or, you know, what, what are the sorts of things that, that, that you're doing that makes a difference that makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning and get to work?
0: Well, aside from the fact that I've cut my teeth in this industry, um, so to speak, and I won't even say how many years because then it really makes me sound old, Um, but... You know, I, I love what we do here every day. I love how we're able to impact this community, not only in what we provide our consumers and our customers, but what we can do when we help a small business entity that, you know, they're opening up for the first time and, and they've got all of these expenses to get a business startup and then they turn around and look at the cost possibly to have to buy a phone system and we can come to the table with really reasonable rates for bandwidth and partner with them on their phone um services and really help guide them into that process so hopefully that, that you know so many of the first startup businesses fail within the first two to three years. Hopefully by helping them manage into that with reducing those costs or making those costs more manageable from the beginning, they're able to use those, that, those limited resources they have at startup in another way to make them help be successful in the long term. We um, are really excited to be working with our city Um, Our city is developing a technology council and um, it's something we've needed for quite some time and they're looking at great new ways to utilize this bandwidth that we provide um, in in a multitude of areas. So this summer we will do a proof of concept test for a Wi-Fi network within our parks. Um, so that we can have some um, accessibility for students who want to go to the parks and study or, or folks who want to be out there in the parks and enjoy the, the beauty of our parks, but also be able to stay connected and still do some work on their lunch hours and that sort of thing. So that will be our first proof of concept of that. We're also looking at some Wi-Fi kiosks type opportunities in our downtown and our historic areas that will allow us to not only showcase some of the things that our visitors can, can see when they come to our, our community, but also give them some access um, to what we think is a um, one of the premier networks in in the area. So we're looking at those opportunities with that Technology Council and just looking for ways where we can maximize things for public safety, um, communication, communication, all of those um, avenues for us and really, really see what this networking can, can deliver for the community as a whole. So excited to be part of that every day.
2: Okay, yeah, I'll bet. And I'm I'm still hung up on the 250 megabit symmetrical intro <laughs> rates, which...
0: You know, we do have, I work really closely with my friends at the Chamber of Commerce. We really do have a nice relocation program. We'd love to have you move. See, the thing is, field. I'd like to relocate
2: and bring Winter <laughs> with me, but I don't know if all your other residents would appreciate that so much I'm no, not lying no. and
0: we don't do winters really well here so you would be embarrassed <laughs> the w- rare moments that we have large amounts of snow we embarrass ourselves <laughs> the way that we react.
2: Well, for the entire month of August, I, I might refuse to put a shirt on. So I think it would be embarrassing for me if I was to, to do that. <laughs> I have one other note here that I, I wanted to add. I, I think I hadn't heard this before, but uh, in terms of how you solve this issue, but you said that you have a good relationship with new MDUs, mm-hmm. uh, the multi-dwelling units, uh, apartment buildings uh, were, are built, uh, and that you generally get in there pretty easily. So tell us how you do that
0: lots of connections with folks in the community you know i, I I won't say it's the sole reason, but we're really, really very focused on how we connect with folks in the community. When I left the cable industry and I went to work as our director of our Chamber of Commerce, of course there's a natural resource there to develop relationships with folks. And then when I moved over to that, of course I built those relationships and brought them with me. But we've worked really hard at working with the home builders associations here in the community and with the the developers in the community. So typically when something is being built, if it's locally being built, if it's a developer that's doing it here locally, we're on the ground floor um, providing them with insight on how to wire for the buildings, providing them with the CAT5 for their their construction folks to, to pre-wire for the buildings. And we're usually the first ones in there to, to get all that um, done and set for us. So it's nice to be part of those partnerships as well.
2: And so they do all the work? You just basically give them a spool of CAT5 cable? Yep, that's it. And so... Let me ask you then, I mean, you're already offering 10 gigabits today. Uh, This is an apartment building that could be around for several decades. Have you considered whether you should be doing fiber to the unit or using Cat6 cabling or something like that?
0: We do. It depends on the location and what what they're planning to put in there. So sometimes Cat6 works a lot better than cat 5 general rule is if it's just your average application with a residential type setup, CAT-5 is certainly adequate. CAT-6, we've done a lot of our larger commercial developments and the like. And then as we're doing with the indoor O&Ts, we're taking that fiber directly into the unit.
2: Great. Well, Clarksville is one of those places that I haven't actually been to there in western Tennessee. I'm, I'm going to fix that one of these days. I really appreciate all of your time. Um, you know, Christy, it really makes me definitely want to check it out. Not necessarily Really is a candidate for permanent relocation but I, I want to see what it's like down there and I hope I hope others will give that a shot too
0: <laughs> well listen do come visit us we'd love to have you visit we'd love to show off what we're doing and introduce you to some of the other folks that are doing other cool things in the market that that um, our network will
1: be used for um, that we get excited about every day
2: sounds good thank you for your time
1: thank you I appreciate it that was Christopher and Christy Batts Broadband Division Director at CDE Lightband in Clarksville, Tennessee If you want to hear our 2013 interview to learn about the early days, check out episode 51 from June 2013. Learn about the network at cdelightband.com. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle License to Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 373 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.